What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Hey, friends. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So to go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary. And every week we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is the Bill Press Show live at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. They're home, 2.30 in the morning, out at Andrews Air Force Base. Three Korean-Americans coming home from North Korea, greeted by the president and the first lady. Hello, everybody, and we greet you on this Thursday, Thursday, May 10. How about it? Great to see you today, and uh, lots and lots to talk about again with this busy news cycle that we've got that never seems to slow down. Coming to you live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., in our studio on Capitol Hill. You know where we are right in the heart of the action, keeping our eye on what's going on here at the White House. Uh, here at the, yeah, Yes, at the White House, that end of Pennsylvania Avenue. And yes, this end here at the United States Capitol. Big hearing yesterday on, uh, the, on Gina Haspel, Donald Trump's nominee to be the CIA director, she says, yes, I tortured, but I will never torture again. John McCain says, that's not good enough. She is, for that reason alone, she should not be the next director of the CIA. Um, would only, if only, uh, Senate Republicans and Democrats would listen to the man who was tortured and knows what he's talking about in that area. Great to have you with us, folks. And remember, your job. Let us know what you think about the news of the day. We love hearing from you on Twitter, at BP Show. So get ready to go. Send your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. We'll catch up with you a little bit later in the program. But right now, we will start with the big news of the day, and that is these three prisoners coming home from North Korea. But first... This is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories making news. Remember the name Matt Lauer? Remember that guy? Uh, I remember that guy. Yeah, well, yesterday, NBC Universal released the findings of their investigation, which has been going on for several months now, into multiple accusations of sexual misconduct by Matt Lauer. And they found that all, all of the allegations were, in fact, credible. Yeah. 
they were also wanted to take a look at who knew about it when, right. and they said that all of the superiors that could have done something about it did not know about it. As soon as they found out about it, they did something. However, they did recommend a number of changes to improve the culture at NBC and to build confidence in how women report being sexually harassed or sexual assault. or It's just hard to believe. I, I saw the report. It's just hard to believe that nobody at NBC had ever heard anything about um, complaints from women about Matt Lauer. I mean, in a workplace, that, that kind of word gets around, you know? Well, you know, people, it's, Certain people have a reputation for being... Yeah. No, totally. I mean, it's interesting. You know? In the days after these allegations came, came out, there were women who worked there that were saying, oh, my God, yeah, this... Yeah, we knew we we had heard about this, but to think that nobody, none of the executives heard about it, I think you're right. It's hard to believe. But. It's hard to believe. Yeah, exactly. Let's go to the NBA, where last night the Celtics beat the Philadelphia 76ers, which means they are going to the Eastern Conference Finals. They will face LeBron James mm. and the Cleveland Cavaliers. So we're down now to we're down now to the final four in the NBA, Bill. You have a favorite? We're down to the Golden State no, Warriors, Houston Rockets. It goes on forever. It does go on for quite a while. Uh, the Warriors, of course. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's that's probably yeah. the only team I can Golden really State, pull. I sure. Mean, yeah. Hello. Yeah, exactly. I'm loyal. I signed a loyalty oath. <laughs> and we've been talking a lot about Marvel and the uh, Avengers yeah. Infinity yeah. War movie that's made a lot of money. Remember, this all started back 10 years ago when Iron Man was released. Well, yesterday, Marvel reported... But the original Iron Man suit from that movie back in 2008 that was worn by Robert Downey Jr., it went missing. They have a storage facility in California, and they have a bunch of props from the movies that are stored there. The original Iron Man suit is valued at $325,000, and they said it is just missing. Oh, wow. It's gone. Oh, wow. So they had to file a report with the police. Uh, they acknowledge that they're going to have to look for it, and so we will see who who took Iron Man. <laughs> yeah, you know somebody had their eye on that for uh, down the road, selling it. From... This is the Bill Press Show. John McCain says if she tortured once, she would do it again. Vote no on Gina Haspel for CIA director. Hello, everybody. What do you say? It is uh, a Thursday, Thursday, May 10. Great to see you today. And thanks for climbing on board the Bill Press bus as we head out from a little bus station here in Capitol Hill, Washington, D.C., and head out and join you wherever you are in this great land of ours on a Thursday. Whether you're at home, at the office, out for a walk, um, whatever, in the car, uh, thanks for tuning in and being part of the Bill Press Show as we bring you all the news of the day online on YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Again, podcast, podcast, podcast. Sign up. Go to the podcast, billpressshow.com, or wherever you go to for, for your podcast. Uh, look us up and sign up and be part of the Bill Press team. We're also uh, joining you on Free Speech TV, of course, and on the radio in the state of Indiana through Indiana Talks and out all over the greater Chicago area on WCPT, the big progressive voice of Chicago. 
lots and lots going on today. Capri Cafaro, Democratic strategist, will be joining us a little bit later. Niall Stanage, who covers the White House for The Hill, a columnist for The Hill. Uh, he and Jordan Fabian, both at the White House briefings. Niall will be here for um, a little bit later. And then we'll be joined by the one and only Medea Benjamin, uh, who is the co-chair of Code Pink. And they were very visible and very audible <laughs> in the hearing yesterday for Gina Haspel. If you saw any clip of the hearing, you saw some members of Code Pink and Medea herself getting hauled out of the committee room. We'll ask her today. It's probably the 1,000th time that she's been arrested or hauled out of a committee room. And we, we ask and they her this, still let her back I thought, in. I mean, we ask her this all the time. I know. How the hell do you keep getting into these things? Like, you would imagine that they would have a photo of Medea Benjamin outside every they single— They don't have to. They just—they know her. Right. Like, they, they should—like, do they, not let this woman in. And she yeah. still gets in. It's amazing. There are members of the House who get stopped by the police going in because they don't know who they are. You know, some of the newer members or whatever, right? They all know who Medea Benjamin is. Uh, yeah. And, yeah, they have they, to. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But it doesn't matter. Doesn't she matter. still gets in. <laughs> like, as uptight as we are in this town. Yes. Like, the fact that she continues to do it, I mean, that, I respect that so much. Uh, yeah. No, I, I do too as well. Okay. Uh, we know what the big stories are, right? Big stories. Uh, Gina Haspel's hearing yesterday. The three um, uh, prisoners from North Korea. Coming home in the middle of the night, uh, I, I hope you excuse me, but as a member of the White House press corps, I passed on the opportunity to go to Andrews Air Force Base at 2.30 this morning to wait for uh, that plane to come home, but the president and the first lady were there. Uh, Michael Cohen, turns out, the whisperer, <laughs> not just the fixer, but the whisperer for Donald Trump getting millions and millions of dollars selling access uh, to the Oval Office, uh, and Donald Trump threatening to take away uh, credentials of White House reporters that he doesn't like. Uh, <clears throat> is my credential in trouble? Uh, we'll get to all those big stories, but you know, I want to start with a little bragging here today. I want to brag on. I want to brag on California. Yes, indeed, California. A big, big step yesterday. California Energy Commission, by unanimous vote of five to nothing, adopted a new rule that says that all new residential construction in California, all new homes built in California, have to have solar panels. And yes, they agree that it will add to the cost of a new home. It will add a little bit to the cost of your monthly mortgage. But they point out that over the long term, you will save more money than that. You will make money. Uh, it'll pay more than pay for itself. And this catapults California into the lead on uh, on renewable energy. By the way, they have a um, a, a law in California that by 2030, 50% of their energy has to be from renewable sources, and this will get them a long way down the road. You know, all kinds of good ideas. I, I'd go so far as to say most of the good ideas uh, in the country start in California and then work their way east from California. Uh, this is the latest one. You bet other states are going to follow the lead, just like other states followed the lead when California uh, adopted the toughest um, um, fuel efficiency standards for new cars uh, in in the country. Uh, again, it was a unanimous vote, and um, I, I can. For, for, here's one of the leaders uh, in California 
uh, head of an environmental organization out there. I forget her name. Peter. Yeah, her name is Michelle Kinman. She's Michelle with a group Kinman. called Environment California. Environment California, saying about how important this is. We're making sure that we're going to not only do this in California, but that we're going to do it as quickly as we can, recognizing the critical climate imperatives that we face and hopefully setting an example for other states to follow. Let me tell you, uh, I just want to, I'm so excited about this because California solar panel, solar works. I can tell you that from my own experience, our own experience, both in California and here in Washington, D.C. We built a house uh, in the 80s in California. Uh, in Northern California, not down in Southern California where you've got, you know, desert, uh, in Northern California, that house is 100% solar. It's a passive solar house. We have no heating system in the house. It's, it's all solar. Uh, and we have solar panels on the roof and have had from, from day one. We are totally, totally off the grid um, in, on that house in California. And then about three years ago, and so I can tell you, it works, it works, it works. Here, no air conditioning, no heat, just solar energy. Here in, in Washington, D.C., about a block from our studio, uh, we put solar panels on our roof three years ago. Um, I can tell you it costs $17,000, which is a lot of money, uh, but it has already more than paid for itself, and right now, we actually generate more power from our solar panels than we can use, and we sell excess power back to Pepco, the local utility. So we have a little power plant on our roof. We're making money, uh, and you can too with solar. So I just got it. This is so, so exciting, uh, and I, I encourage you to look into it. They're, they're just Google. They're good companies out there. They'll come to your house. They'll assess whether or not it would work for your house, they would tell you how much energy you're using now and how much uh, you could save by putting solar panels on the roof, how long it would take before you recoup the cost of them. Go solar. You know, the other thing about Go this solar. is I, I think that so many people have just, <clears throat> they have their baked-in ideas of solar, right? And, like, when solar really became a thing, like, it was probably too expensive for most yes, yes. people oh, to yeah, use. Yes, Oh, yeah, Absolutely. Right, And one of the things that uh, they were saying in this story about California and what they're doing, the price of solar panels in America have come down 70% in the last just 10 years alone. Right, yeah. And so, like, it still might be hard to afford for some people, but, like, it's way more affordable than people think. But you have to think of it that over the long term, totally, you're going to be paying a lot more money. And the cost of energy keeps going up, up. I mean, sure. traditional energy, up, up, up. But so you have to think of it that way as really an investment that's really, really going to pay off. Uh, and as the cost of energy goes up, you don't have to worry about it because you've got your source of energy. Comes up every morning, goes down every night. There it is. I and, still and, think. I and still, that's that energy is stored in a battery somewhere, so you have to worry about it. I still think the it's, most remarkable story is that, which you just mentioned, that you, you yeah. sell yeah. energy back to the company right. here in D.C. Right. That's we remarkable. We get a check from the utility. We get a check <laughs> from them. We don't send a check to them. How often do you hear that? That never happens. Yeah, just a smart thing to do. Yes, indeed. And so it was at 2.42 a.m. this morning uh, that the plane from North Korea arrived at Andrews Air Force Base. 
with uh, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo on board and the three Korean-Americans who were released from a North Korean prison uh, as a little gesture of goodwill on the part of Kim Jong-un leading to the summit, which we now know will happen next month in Singapore. It's not going to happen in the demilitarized zone. Uh, not going to happen in Hawaii, not going to happen in China, but in, pardon me, in the uh, independent city of uh, city state, I guess, of Singapore. Uh, the president arrived at the Air Force Base at 2.18 on Marine One uh, with the uh, First Lady. The vice president was also there. Uh, and um, Donald Trump telling reporters out at Andrews Air Force Base, uh, for Kim Jong-un to do this, very nice. He was nice in letting him go before the meeting. I mean, frankly, we didn't think this was going to happen, and it did. Uh, and he says this proves or this shows that uh, it looks like this upcoming summit is going to be a huge success. We're going to have a success. I think this will be a very big success. It's never been taken this far. There's never been a relationship like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and certainly not a relationship like this in decades, uh, uh, with uh, not since the Korean War, certainly with North Korea. He No, he's right about that. Uh, and it was very smart of Kim Jong-un to release these three prisoners and very smart of Donald Trump to go out there to Andrews Air Force Base uh, and take the credit for that. We're going to see those pictures of him uh, greeting them as they stepped off the plane Um uh, you know, forever, certainly, uh, through the uh, re-election campaign of 2020. Um, does Donald Trump deserve the credit for this? Well, ask him. Some people say maybe he ought to get the biggest prize of all. This was at the White House earlier yesterday, before, long before the uh, prisoners came home. deserve the Nobel Prize, do you think? Everyone thinks so, but I would never say it. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I would never say I deserve the Nobel Peace That's Prize. That's peak no. Donald Trump. No, I would never say that. Mm-mm, peak no, but, Donald Trump. But give it to me. Give it yeah, to exactly. me. Yeah, exactly. Please I, give it to yeah. me. <laughs> that would be, <laughs> that would just be stunning were it to happen. Uh, you know, let's not rush into that. Uh, but uh, at any rate, to the extent that, uh, that they've uh, engineered this summit, and it looks like it's going to happen, to the extent that they have uh, put pressure on North Korea and it's resulted in the release of these prisoners, uh, give them credit where, where credit is due. It's good to have them back home. Um, but, you know, the, um, the negotiations over the difficult question of denuclearization and exactly what that means and what we're willing to give in response for that uh, those are the things to, that, to be hammered out at the summit, or at least the beginning of the conversation of that summit, which is a, a big hill to climb. Uh, meanwhile, on Capitol Hill yesterday, Gina Haspel, uh, the director, the president's nominee to be, she's the acting director, the president's nominee to be permanent director of the CIA, in front of the Senate Intelligence Committee. It was a pretty tense hearing uh, and I got to tell you, I don't think we got any answers from Gina Haspel. Remember, as we pointed out yesterday, this woman, she's been with the agency for 33 years. Uh, she knows it inside and out. Uh, she has operated out in the field as a spy, you know, doing little drop-offs and running field agents around the world. Uh, she also, after September 11, uh, she willingly 
went off to Thailand, uh, oversaw a prison where waterboarding took place and other forms of uh, enhanced interrogation, if you will, uh, which involved, uh, in, in addition to waterboarding, dousing patient, uh, prisoners with ice water, forcing them to stay awake for as long as a week, subjecting some of them to medically unnecessary rectal feeding. Uh, she in charge of that prison, uh, and admittedly, and then coming home, and three years later, she wrote the order to agents in the field, uh, which her boss issued the order. She wrote, drafted the order, uh, telling them to destroy 95 videotapes of that waterboarding to get rid of the evidence. Sum up, she committed war crimes, she destroyed evidence, which is also a crime, and now she said yesterday, her message was, I'll never do it again. Yeah, but you did it, damn it. You, you know, know. We, we talked about this on the show Whoa. at the time that this happened, when George yeah. W. Bush was still president, and Barack Obama and a lot of other Democrats said, no, 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 we're not going to charge them with war crimes. We're not going to go down that path, right, because this was a dark period of Oh, American yeah, we don't history, want to look back. We want to look forward. And we're going to move forward, yeah, right? right. <clears throat> well, here we are. The people that committed war crimes yeah, now are, are about to run the CIA. Yeah. That was the point back then. Right, right. So she starts out in her opening statement by saying, oh, you know, I just, I'm a, I'm a strong moral compass. That's that's me. My moral compass is strong. I would not allow CIA to undertake activity that I thought was immoral, even if it was technically legal. Um, I would absolutely uh, not permit it. Well, uh, Kamala Harris, we're jumping around here, I know, Peter, but Kamala Harris, a senator from California, kind of follows up on that, and she doesn't get a clear answer. Do you believe in hindsight that those techniques were immoral? Senator, what I believe sitting here today is that I support the higher moral standard we have decided to hold ourselves to. Can you please to. answer the question? Senator, I, I think I've answered the question. No, you've not. No, you haven't. Okay. So let's get real specific. Martin Heinrich, senator from uh, New Mexico, um, would you order, if the president told you, okay, would you order torture? What would you do if the president ordered you to get back in that business? Senator, the, the president um, has that's selected a, me to give him yes advice. No. I would not restart under any circumstances in an interrogation program at CIA, under any circumstances. Thank you. So she's, you know, it just doesn't follow, right? She said, first of all, she's going to say, she doesn't really clearly say if the president said, and we know, by the way, this is not some theoretical question because Donald Trump has said we ought to go back to waterboarding. He says torture works. Okay. So we're not, we're not making this up. So he orders her to torture and she says she wouldn't do anything that was immoral, but she did it before. And now she says she wouldn't do it again, but she also says what they were doing at the time was legal. Was They were following the law. No, they weren't. Torture was illegal then. Torture was a war crime then, ever since the Geneva Conventions of 1948. So, you know, it just it doesn't have. She wants, she's really trying to have it on both ways here. Uh, Senator Mark Warner from Virginia 
started off too about this question about what do you mean you were just following orders? You would not follow the order if you felt it was. No, um, I believe that CIA must undertake activities that uh, are consistent with American values. Yeah, but it wasn't. Okay. Okay. I agree with that. Right. Yeah, but (laughs) 10 years ago, you were undertaking actions, you yourself, that were not consistent with American values. So now you want us to believe, even though you admit you don't, you won't admit you did anything wrong. But you do say, I'll never do it again. Well, if it wasn't wrong, you see what I mean? It's just, it just doesn't add up. And here's what really pisses me off, that she's going to get confirmed. She's going to get confirmed because there are too many cowardly Democrats. And one of them yesterday came out, Joe Manchin. She shows up. He gives her a big hug, and he announces he's going to vote for her. And by the way, that other person everybody thinks is such a great hero, Susan Collins from Maine, boy, I'm telling you, over and over again, when it comes down to really, really, when it really, really matters, Susan Collins caves in. And she did. Always. She did. Yesterday afternoon, boom. Just like she did, I forget whether it was the budget or Obamacare. It was the tax cuts. It was was the tax cuts. Yeah. How she caved in on on the tax cuts. There was a great headline yesterday, early in the day, saying, how Susan Collins and Rand Paul could be the Republicans that stopped Gina Haspel's confirmation. I thought to myself, yeah. Neither one of them Neither one are going to try and stop this. Every one of them, the same thing. They give the impression that they're really independent and they're willing to stand up to their party and their president, and then they always cave. Yeah. yeah. How many times are we going to fall for that thing? But, you know, it's, and, and it, it is just nonsense. The idea, this idea, which I just totally reject, that these red state Democrats, and we know who they are, right, that we're always, where Donald Trump won their state, so we're always talking about John Tester, I'm not trying to get him involved in this Gina Haspel thing, but they're the ones who we always use this excuse. Well, you know, red state, Trump carried it. They're up for re-election. They got to be really careful, which mean meaning they got to vote for everything Donald Trump wants, or else they may not get re-elected. That is just nonsense. Again, we're talking to John Tester, um, uh, J- Joe Manchin, Heidi Heitkamp. Uh, and Joe Donnelly from Indiana, they're the ones you usually mention. But this, so, so Manchin, for example, you tell me, you tell me one person in West Virginia who's going to vote, I bet you cannot name one person in West Virginia who's going to vote against Joe Manchin, re-election to the U.S. Senate, because he voted against Gina Haspel. Who is a war criminal. Who is, a, right, a war criminal. No. I mean, it's just that, that idea is just so absurd. I'm no politician, but I think if if I was going to be a politician, I think that my is, platform would be I'm not going to vote for a war criminal, whichever party they come from. I think in any state you could um, you could make that argument. Yeah. Put you that on the bumper sticker. Hold your head up high and make that argument. Does no. not vote for war criminals. Right. Do not. Do, does not. Right. Does not vote for war criminal. That's that's my platform. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and they think that's dangerous? <laughs> I mean, come on. Man, come on, exactly. You know what? <laughs> Again, looking for somebody with backbone that today you don't see many of them. Uh, one exception, uh, sadly, he will not be there to vote. John McCain yesterday, the, John McCain who has spent how many, well, five or six years, right, in a prisoner of war camp. John McCain who was tortured. Uh, John McCain, of course, we're not supposed to care about him because he, care about him because he was a prisoner and we don't like people 
says Donald Trump, who were prisoners, taken prison, prisoner. But John McCain yesterday, knowing torture, having been through it, no, it doesn't work, said yesterday the fact that she will not say that torture is morally abhorrent and apologize for having taken any part in it disqualifies her from being the head of the CIA and has asked members of the Senate not to vote for her. Meanwhile, Michael Cohen. Boy, we're learning more about Michael Cohen. Yeah, he was not just the fixer. He, as the president's uh, private attorney, remember, he's still, as far as we know, Donald Trump's personal attorney. He was not just the fixer. He was the whisperer, set up this phony consulting company called Essential Consultants LLC, a Delaware corporation. Uh, and uh, he was selling himself as the person who could get you access to the Oval Office. He was selling access to the Oval Office himself. And boy, he made millions and millions of dollars from it, including from AT&T paying him millions to figure out how they could get to Donald Trump to approve their merger. Novartis, the big pharma, Swiss pharmaceutical company, paid him millions of dollars access on health care, right? And this Russian oligarch, oligarch, rather, uh, what is his name here? Victor, I can remember, Victor Vekelberg, right? Who's a big buddy of Vladimir Putin's, paid him $500,000, right? Now, what was the Russian oligarch paying Donald Trump's personal attorney, why would he pay him $500,000 if not to, again, set up a conduit, a connection between the Kremlin and the Trump White House? How many times do the Russian connections keep popping up? Here we are again, and Michael Cohen right in the middle of it. We know all about this thanks to Michael Avenatti. The attorney for Stormy Daniels, who got into this because he was able to take a look at the financial records of Essential Consultants. Why? Because Essential Consultants is the company that Michael Cohen used to pay Stormy Daniels that $130,000. So in a sense, AT&T and Novartis and the Russian oligarch, part of their money went to pay off Stormy Daniels. Here's Avenatti yesterday saying, because uh, Michael Cohen says this isn't fair and Michael Avenatti is, sped, is spreading false information, Avenatti says, okay, put up or shut up, dude. Michael Cohen should release the bank statements and the bank records for the American people to see. And if we're wrong, we're wrong. Yeah, that's it. Freeze it. Just like Donald Trump releases tax yeah. returns. Yeah. Release your bank statements, uh, Michael Cohen. Uh, and By the way, you said this before. This is the lawyer to take on Trump. Oh, man. This is the lawyer to Trump take on Trump. Trump has met his match with this I guy. I mean, he's— This is—let uh, me say it differently. This is the lawyer Donald Trump wishes he could hire. Yeah, yeah that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Because, look, Michael uh, Avenatti put out this report showing where the money went, and it's been verified. New York Times got a hold of the same records and verified everything he said. Verified everything he said. Yep. But as, as he said, fine, if we're wrong— if we're the yeah. ones that are wrong, mm-hmm. prove it, MFR. Right. right. Yeah. Come show us. Yeah, absolutely. Because we've got receipts. What do you have? And, and it does. It does really put a lie to Donald Trump's promise, as Avenatti said yesterday also. Uh, this was on Good Morning America. 
as he also said yesterday, about draining the swamp. The president ran on this campaign of draining the swamp, that lobbyists were not going to be involved, special interests were not going to be involved, etc. Now you have the right hand of the president. In January of 2017, all of a sudden starts taking all of this money from all of these multinational corporations for God knows what. And the American people deserve to know what it was for. Yeah, exactly. Selling access to the Oval Office is what they were doing. And again, this is Donald Trump's personal attorney. And you can't tell me that Donald Trump didn't know exactly what Michael Cohen was doing. We now know, of course, after denying it, that he knew about the Stormy Daniels payoff, and he even paid it back himself in installments, which Rudy Giuliani says was okay, right? I haven't heard from Rudy in a couple of days. I I was about to say, he's been awfully quiet, hasn't he? Uh, yeah, I think maybe somebody said, Rudy, best thing you can do is just shut up. Okay. Man, there's so much to talk about. Uh, Capri Cafaro, former state senator from Ohio, and uh, talk about that big Ohio primary. Uh, now a Democratic strategist joins us next year. So uh, stay tuned. Stay in there. Hang in. Quick break, and we'll be right back here on The Bill Press Show. Thursday, May 10. Take The Bill Press Show anywhere you go. Download our free podcast, search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes, and catch the highlights from every show. And we're back here, The Bill Press Show, Thursday, May 10. Hey, folks, great to see you today as we boom out to you coast to coast from our studio right here on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., Brought to you today by the Labor's International Union of North America, those good men and women of the Labor's Union. Labor's International Union of North America, LIUNA. That's their website, LiunaBuildsAmerica.org. Uh, we salute them, their president, the great uh, Terry O'Sullivan, uh, and thank them for their support of the program. Pleased to welcome back to the studio. Um, she's all over the place, but we catch her when she's in Washington. Uh, Capri Cafaro, Democratic strategist and former State Senator from uh, the great state of Ohio. Hi, Capri. Nice hey, to see good you. And you've had a busy week uh, with Ohio uh, right up there. Of all the primaries, Ohio probably got uh, the most attention. Uh, with the exception of West Virginia, thanks oh, that's to true. Blankenship. Thanks to Blankenship, yeah. It's all, right. it's all about Blankenship in that one. <laughs> Unwanted attention in some cases. <laughs> true this. Yeah. Did you see yesterday Donald Trump called Blankenship? No, I did not yeah, see that. Yeah, and said what exactly? I don't know. I mean, I, and why? I mean, yeah. After, after he tweeted out and said, "Don't vote for him." Don't vote for him, and dumped on him, saying he couldn't win and right. everything. Well, I mean, he, I, he, I just saw a little note somewhere this so morning. Weird that he that is odd that he called him. Yeah, right. Uh, well, I wants, guess we'll never know. Yeah, what, I mean, breaking news: the president is kind of weird sometimes. <laughs> uh, yeah. At any rate, uh, we've been at it here for a little while before you uh, before you joined us, Peter. Tell yeah. us about. Uh, yes, we indeed. Stir up some dust, or that's what always. We're okay, great. Always. I'm ready. We are on Twitter at BP Show at BP Show, where you can find us and give us some comments. My man Romaine says. Haspel talking about her moral compass won't allow her to to torture again. I say sorry, your moral compass has already been proven to be broken. (laughs) Talking about the North Korea um, prisoner release, Phil says, is it cynical to say that Kim created leverage by arresting our guys just for this very moment? Nope. No. I don't think that's too cynical (laughs) at all. (laughs) Right. I don't think that's too cynical at all. We had another another tweeter saying, uh, Trump is a train wreck. And taking the rest of us of us with him, oil prices will skyrocket. Oh, because of the Iran deal. <clears throat> because oh, of the yeah, Iran you deal. know that. And KG, uh, who we hear from often, uh, with a very succinct uh, tweet: uh, "This is why people hate the government." 
<laughs> which I'm not sure which topic we talked I about in particular. Say, I mean, but I guess take your pick. Them? You know take what? Your pick. Michael Cohen. Yeah, probably. probably. We're talking that's, about that's true. selling access to the White House. That's probably why. By the way, we're Bring also on yeah, right. uh, mm-hmm. on YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show, where we stream the show out live and we keep the whole show up there if you want to go watch it anytime throughout the day. Um, Johnny says the fact that the USA left, this is uh, uh, be a Iran deal, oh. uh, is so spineless is what frightens me about 2020. They might win the Democratic primaries and then get slaughtered in the general. Uh, which is not exactly optimistic. Uh, and Donna talking about Gina Haspel. It was sickening when she br- when, when she brought up her dad and how she was brought up with a strong moral compass, considering what we know she did. If you have a comment for us, find us on Twitter at. BP By the way, Show. agree or disagree? Right? You know we're thick-skinned. You can. Uh, you can sure. Disagree. Absolutely. Sure. Uh, yeah. At BP Show on Twitter, at BP Show on Twitter, and uh, also on YouTube, YouTube.com/slash The Bill Press Show. Okay. All right. Let's talk about this Ohio primary. Richard Cordray, um, pretty handily beating Dennis Kucinich. Mm-hmm. I was surprised at the margin there. Were you? Um, n- not necessarily. I expected it to be a little bit closer, but I think that the conventional wisdom was that uh, Rich Cordray was going to win. The interesting thing about the Ohio governor's race is that it started out uh, 18 months ago with three women and one man. The one man was my uh, my former colleague, State Senator Joe Schiavone, who actually stood in to the entire end um, and got 10% of the vote, worked very, very hard. I actually voted for Joe, um, frankly, because I think he could bring some of the Trump voters back into the, the fold for Democrats. But Rich Cordray and Dennis Kucinich both. So he, there was a third candidate in the. There's four. There was four. The oh. fourth. The fourth actually was um one of the was an Ohio Supreme Court justice who quit, um to run. But he was he was goofy, um yeah. to say the least. Uh-huh. Um so it was I don't think anyone even though he was a uh, on the Supreme Court in Ohio nobody really took him very seriously, um, so you know you had a situation where you had all these women running and Joe, eighteen yeah. months ago systematically the women were dropping out uh, uh rich cordray got in took betty sutton who was a former member of congress who was w- running for governor made him uh, ma- excuse me made her his lieutenant governor pick um and sort of the rest is history so you know rich as i think everyone knows was the the head of the uh consumer uh financial, financial protection, protection bureau, bureau cfpb yeah. Um, uh, you know, for eight years. So he was in D.C. And then Dennis Kucinich really, you know, he lost due to redistricting in 2012 his his seat in Congress and has kind of been in and out of Ohio and D.C. and every place else for, for you know, the last six years. So these two guys swoop back in. They have huge name recognition, but really didn't put a whole lot of effort hmm. into the, the sort of grassroots campaigning right. of connecting with voters so there's a, a lot of people 40 percent of, of of ohioans were ohio democrats were undecided all the way up to the end no, i know it, people that were like not sure what they were going to do when they walked in cordray huh? is not honestly particularly well liked dennis i think people felt you know was a real long shot in the general election just given you know particularly his issues with assad not you know and, and that sort of thing and people thought that joe Shavoni didn't have the name recognition um to, to sort of cut through so here we are with rich cordray and 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 betty sutton up against mike dewine who against mike was DeWine. former it, it form, it is former u.s senator former and, member of congress former lieutenant governor former lieutenant governor and ag right current attorney general yeah um here's a fun fact um, Mike DeWine beat Rich Cordray when Rich Cordray was the sitting attorney general in 2010. 
Oh, really? So that's the thing that like makes me scratch my head. Like, why are we signing up for this rematch? But look, I mean, you know, I think Democrats struggle with having a bench. Um, uh, you know, all across the country. Um, again, one of the reasons that, uh, you know, I was I was excited for for Senator Schiavone because he's my age and he comes from the Mahoning Valley. And, you know, I, you, we need to bring more of those people in. So I think it was good he ran even if he lost. Um, and I think Rich Cordray, you know, will be a solid candidate. Um, he because of his support from President Obama and Elizabeth Warren, uh, in particular, he's going to have a, a, a and his support from labor. He was th- that ticket was endorsed by the AFL-CIO. They'll have a, a big um, fundraising uh, apparatus, but um, it's going to be tough to beat Mike DeWine. I mean, mm-hmm. we are a center right state at this point, And um, I think being inside the beltway is going to hurt him from CFPB. Uh, uh, I, I, we all hate hypotheticals, but at the same still, time, I'm going to ask you a hypothetical if he had run, would Tim Ryan be a stronger candidate against Mike DeWine? Yes. I, I, and I don't say that just because Tim's my homie, um, because yeah. he is my member of Congress, uh, and and we both live in the same county and everything else. We're, we're good friends, and, and I have a lot of respect for Tim. But I think for, for the argument that I was making about Shivoni, I think also applies yeah. to Tim, that here's somebody who can speak to the Trump voter and and can, you know, is plain talking, you know, does have more of a populist economic message, is not necessarily, you know, um, uh, traded on his more progressive social stances, um, has been outspoken, is is kind of seen as a man of the people. Whereas, you know, Rich Cordray, again, he um, he's the head of this, this agency that has a lot of controversy surrounding it. A big thing that happened in the primary was, you know, he left it in the hands of Donald Trump. And people saw and I and so there were two things that we thought might make Dennis Kucinich actually be more competitive. One was this, uh, you know, walking away. You from walked CFPB. away and let the roosters run the hen house, Rich Cordray. Why did you do that for your own political yeah. game? And two, the issue of guns played a huge part hmm. in this primary because Rich had a, a stronger record with the NRA. And Dennis Kucinich really played on that and really, you know, forcing the issue of an assault weapons ban. Right. So when you look across, we mentioned just briefly uh, West Virginia, Blankenship coming in third. Uh, But when you look across the field at the primaries uh, Tuesday, um, what do you see, particularly for for Democrats? Well, I mean, I I think that it seems as if, again, if you just look at who came out of the primaries, you have this um, brawn that came out of uh, the primary in Indiana, who will now challenge incumbent Joe Donnelly. By the way, just to jump in there, Braun, who beat two, two Republican, Republican members, members of Congress. Of Congress exactly. So those are two. Those are two Republican members of Congress who are not coming home, coming back. That's right. Which we, so which has a. You are absolutely right. Brings a, a direct potential impact for pickups. Right. On the on the right. House side of the ledger. Yeah. Uh, you know, Braun tries to position himself because he was a business person, but he also was a state representative in Indiana. Is kind of this outsider insider guy. Um, Donnelly won in 2012. Um, he had kind of a, a, a kooky candidate against him uh, then, who said some. Really controversial stuff about rape and pregnancy. Um, you know, Indiana's a red state, but I think that, you know, Donnelly is, has a good shot of holding on. I think mm-hmm. Manchin still has a good shot of holding on, although, yeah, yeah. you know, the um, the attorney general who won that instead of Blankenship certainly is a stronger uh, contender. And I think Sherrod holds but, on against Renacy. But, by the way, also in West Virginia, Patrick Marcy, the attorney general who won, right, um, beat 
a Republican member of Congress. So right. that's one more Republican member of Congress Good who point. lost a seat. Can we talk about North Carolina in that regard? And then North Carolina, right, an incumbent member of Congress, uh, lost Rob to the Pittenger, primary. loses in the primary. To a pretty hardcore right-wing yeah. conservative reverend who I guess was you know, an advocate in regards to anti-LGBT uh, and all that bathroom bill stuff that, you know, was, was mm-hmm. out there. So I think that there are concerns. Um, and I think so, it's a really good opportunity for a Democratic pickup there because of the, the candidate who's an Iraq war vet and, you know, I think more reflective of the district. So certainly one message seems to be that for a Republican incumbent member of Congress, it wasn't a good, not, it's People not a good time like right now. People just don't like the swamp. Yeah, yeah, right, Exactly. Uh, even though some of these people were saying they were Trumpers and everything, they right. said you're, they're part of the Washington establishment. The other thing is, if you look across the board, and I forget the numbers now, um, women did yep. very well, right? On um, uh, on on Tuesday, this article from uh, Vox dot uh, com, Democratic women in particular had a great showing in Ohio, Indiana, North Carolina, West Virginia, the states we're talking about. Right. Twenty two Democratic female candidates won their respective primaries, five Republican women candidates were the winners. So that's pretty impressive. It is pretty impressive. And I think yeah. that, it, I mean, part of it is is just down to the fact that, you know, we've talked on the show before about, um, you know, sort of the resistance movement and, and the women's march and everything. And they're motivated. And they are motivated. And I think on the Democratic side of the ledger, um, you know, traditionally we do field more women candidates anyway. But, um, you know, you look at the statistics of how many women have inquired, for example, with Emily's list between, you know, yeah. 2015 and 2017. It's, you know, <laughs> went from like 80 to like 900, you know. So it's we're seeing that bear in um, the outcomes of the primary already. Why aren't you running? Uh, nothing for me to run for. <laughs> I'm term limited. <laughs> Tim Ryan's my member of Congress. <laughs> I can't add, so I can't be treasurer. I don't really know what the auditor of state does. I'm not good at election law. It's not my ballywick. And I'm not a lawyer. I would run for attorney general. So there but, you go. Well, okay. But, I mean, you were a state senator and a good one, right? And you, you must— uh, So, so you I know, hope I can— You know how to run that. campaigns. You know how to—I mean— you haven't given up on the idea of elective office, have you? Oh, no. I, absolutely yeah. not. I mean, I miss working with people. You know, I'm involved in a lot back at home in Ohio on a number of boards from, right. you know, the, our free clinics and domestic violence shelters to Youngstown State University's Board of Trustees. So I'm, I'm very active at home. Um, and you never know what the future will hold. But, um, you know, right now I don't see a, a, good, a good fit or opportunity because it's not about being on the ballot. It's about being in the place where you can best serve the community. Um, uh, Capri Kafaro with us, Democratic strategist, and people can follow you at the Honorable again. CSC at the honor on Twitter at the Honorable C S C, which are my initials, and it's the Honorable not because I think I'm so honorable necessarily, but because it when you're when you're elected, you get stuck with the title of the Honorable. So I figured the easiest way to keep my yeah. Twitter handle consistent. Sure, and people know you, <laughs> and people know know you that way. Uh, what do you make of the whole Stormy Daniels thing? Where is this going? I don't know. I mean, you know, the it's it's interesting because every day we get a new sort of development out of her, her lawyer is Michael Avenatti, um, and uh, you know, I think it's less about. I mean, the, the the polls show that people don't necessarily care about having an affair with Stormy Daniels. Nobody cares whether it's his base or, or, frankly, even people that don't like Trump. They're like, okay, whatever, this was 10 years ago. It's expected. He kind of has this reputation. He's been married three times. That's not the issue. The issue here is 
um, you know, uh, one of of cover up, one of, you know, using this this uh, money to potentially pay her off right before the election, the uh, compounding confusion that has been caused by Rudy Giuliani surrounding this issue. Um, that really has, yeah. has... Would you hire Rudy Giuliani as your attorney? Uh, I, I mean, I think there's a lot of people that are scratching their head and, and really probably changing their views on, um, you know, sort of the, the intellect and effectiveness of Rudy Giuliani. I mean, he was America's mayor. He did a lot of good things, but I have no idea what he's doing and, and why he's doing it and why he's saying these things. Because he's not, he's not a Fox commentator. He's the president's lawyer. He's part of the president's legal team. And there is a significant difference. It's one thing to pontificate and speculate... Yeah, you know, right. it's a whole other thing to, you know, go out there and say the stuff that he said in the capacity that he has. Right. And he hasn't helped the case. No, he's done the absolute opposite of that. So, I mean, I think that that's the Stormy Daniels situation pulled a thread that I think and, you know, or, you know, hit a domino, whatever kind of analogy you yeah. want to use yeah. that is going to have this uh, this, you know, widespread effect um, that it has nothing to do with Stormy Daniels and everything to do with. Um, questions surrounding uh, implications of pay-to-play, uh, federal election law violations, um, gaining paying for access to the to the president-elect at the time. I mean, a whole host of other issues. So um, this is just this is just the beginning, not the end. Yeah, and Cohen suddenly just seems to be like toxic, you know, for for Trump. I mean, he's you got the Stormy Daniels thing that was bad enough, and now you got taking the money from the Russian oligarch. Yep. Selling access to the Who's White has House. Who's under sanctions, by the way? That Russian oligarch is under sanctions by the United States government right now. I didn't realize. I mean, of yep. course he is. Yeah, yeah of course, of course he, he is. Would be, but his right? shell company that paid Michael Cohen is a shell right. company based in the yeah. United States who say, we don't have anything to do with this Russian oligarch. However, there's no indication that that's actually true. That Russian oligarch has subsequently been placed under sanctions in the last round of sanctions when they, yeah. when they right. I yeah. don't know, a couple months ago. Right. And he's taking money from him and from Novartis and AT&T. AT They're all paying him. As, by the way, they were paying other people, Lewandowski, Corey, Corey Lewandowski right. and others. It's not necessarily any, any, illegal. No, no. But anybody who they thought who could sell themselves as having some access to right. Donald Trump, right, could put themselves out there and say, I can get you in the front door. Right. Or and I, I don't I mean, I honestly don't but, know how different that is from, from other uh, it happens all the it time. It happens all the time. And that, frankly, I mean, you talk about campaign finance reform. But, I mean, obviously, there's there this seems to be a need for some ethics reform surrounding that particular issue. Because from what I understand, I mean, Michael Cohen, Corey Lewandowski at all are not registered lobbyists either. So, you know, if you're a registered lobbyist, you're right, right. if you're a registered lobbyist and you're being paid to access, use your relationships, that's one thing, and that's regulated, and that is disclosed. This is something different, and I think that is, the that is I think, the, the thing that raises concern. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, there does seem to be, some people are, are pointing this out, that uh, some somewhat of a double standard. We saw, well, of course, Al, among with the sexual harassment charges, Al Franken resigned. Eric Schneiderman, I mean... I Disgusting what we heard. I got about. a lot to totally, say. About totally, totally <laughs> disgusting. But he re he stepped down. Yeah. He resigned. Here we go. All this stuff comes out about Donald Trump. He's still in the White House. I actually just saw there was um, a post right. that Nayral put out yesterday. I think he it was just on denies Twitter, it. Basically denies it. Calls this. him liars and 
hires attorneys and but keeps on. Here's, here's why I think Donald Trump gets away with it. And it's not just because the GOP turns a blind eye and there's a whole other argument to be made about a whole lot of things that the GOP is complicit in. Okay, so let's put yeah. that aside for a second. I think the reason why Donald Trump does get away with things, unlike although Al Franken, I guess, counters my argument that I'm going to make here. Most people don't see Donald Trump as a guy who was planning to be a politician for his whole life. And for those people that try to put themselves out there like Eric Schneiderman, I'm a champion of women. I'm so great. I'm so progressive. And then, you know, turns out you're the absolute opposite of that. Um, Even if you are, you know, anybody, John Edwards, you name it. Um, if you put yourself out there as a family man of, or a, a crusader for women and then you turn out not to be, Trump just is like, I am who I am. I was on The Apprentice. I, you know, married three times, whatever. And people accept access, that. Access Hollywood tape. Right. And people were like, well, yeah, I he, mean, no, he was I, on I, The Apprentice. It doesn't matter at the time because he wasn't running for president. No, I mean, I hear that argument. I right. mean, Donald Trump never pretended to be. An, I mean, and again, all, I'm not arguing altar, on one way or the other. Boy, but, and everybody knew him basically as a. Um, entertainer, entertainer, playboy, womanizer, whatever you want, right? right? Had that reputation, and so they're not surprised. Exactly. Uh, right. And that's why he gets away with it. I mean, and that's even the evangelicals are like, well, it's been a journey and all this stuff. It's been a journey for him to find the Lord. So he was in a real different place in 05 <laughs> than he is now. It's like he's learned and all this stuff. And that's always what they're saying. Don't get me started on the evangelicals. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> but they are the biggest hypocrites going. No they comment. <laughs> why, are you, why are you coming about everything else? <laughs> why not coming about that? But this idea that, yeah, it's a long journey for him to find the Lord. Oh, yeah, right. And it's going to continue to be a long journey for him to find the Hey, Lord. everybody's got their own relationship with the Lord now. Don't forget. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's going to be, uh, I, I don't know if there's any light at the end of that, <laughs> of that uh, tunnel at all. Um how does the, um, in terms of, uh, speaking of Donald Trump, um, this North Korean thing, mm-hmm. you've got to say uh, the whole show, and it was a show, right? Um, mm-hmm. At one level, that's all it was yesterday, the getting up out there at Andrews Air Force Base at 2.30 in the morning, watching the plane come home. Uh, but it was a pretty effective show, wasn't it? Sure. I mean, you know, I was you asked know. about this earlier today when, um, on a television appearance, and and. Frankly, it doesn't really people think, or is Trump going to get credit? I don't care who gets credit. I'm glad that these people are home. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I think that I, the only concern that I have in regards to the quote unquote yeah, I, show. I go so far as to say he deserves credit. He does I deserve mean, credit. I mean, three prisoners are home, you know. For this, but but I think there's a, there's a difference it was, it was between. It's Jesse Jackson moment. <laughs> okay. Um, it, it, there's a difference between, uh, you know, successfully having successfully getting these three Americans back on American soil and what is to come in, uh, you know, the, the negotiations, I guess, allegedly in Singapore between President yeah, Trump out, right. and, um, and you know, Kim Jong-un. Because at that point, I mean, again, we got uh, the their nuclear aspirations are in the North Korean constitution. You know, they still have de- detainees from other allies like Japan. Uh, are they going to subject themselves to inspections? I mean, there's a whole lot that needs to be answered there. We've got, I mean, and to Trump's credit, he's gotten farther than pretty much anybody else. So, again, I'll give credit where credit is due. But to go so far as to say he needs the Nobel Peace Prize right now is, I mean, a little much. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, a, a little getting ahead of the curve here, yep. right? Yeah. No, but just the idea of, even agreeing to a summit, I think, bravo, right? Agreed. 
uh, now that it looks like the summit is actually going to happen, right? Bravo. But there's a lot, a lot of to, to be, re- I mean, that's a very complicated it is. And, and I don't into. know how many North Korean experts we have right now at the Department of State at, at you know, at um, DNI or any. I mean, I've, I mean, at this point, I have no idea what kind of bench we have in regards to North Korean experts. Um, obviously, Pompeo seems to be doing a decent job, but, um, you know, it remains to be seen. And I hope for the best that it works out. And, and by the way, I think while we're saying that Donald Trump deserves some credit, uh, in terms of as a showman, the way he's playing this, uh, so does Kim Jong Un. Oh yeah. I mean, his going down there and meeting with the president of South Korea, meeting with the president of right China on the twice. heels of the Olympics. Yeah, and then the Olympics, right? And just the idea that he wants to meet with Donald Trump, and he's pulling off. He's pulling off a meeting too in right. Singapore. Right. Well, and and I just heard something this morning actually that I guess when Pompeo was in North Korea, one it's, of the allies or one of the folks on the North Korean um, like staff was saying, yeah, it's all because we want it. <laughs> so, to your point. It's the two showmen playing exactly. off against each other, isn't exactly. it? Exactly. There we are. And I hear that music, and yep. which means we're out of time. And we're just, seems like we're just getting started. Hey, Capri Kafaro, thanks so much for coming in. Absolutely. Bill. Always thanks great to anytime. have you here. And don't forget, you can follow her on Twitter at the Honorable CSC. CSC, my initials. Niall Stanich joins us from the Hill next with all the goings on at the White House. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, friends, don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of the Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how. You can follow us on Twitter at BP Show or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show and on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. They are home, and we welcome back the three Korean-American prisoners. Welcome them back from North Korea. Hello, everybody, and we welcome you back to The uh, Bill Press Show. You're not exactly uh, hostages, but uh, we appreciate uh, your being here, volunteering to be here. Uh, Wherever you are in this great land of ours, we join you on this Thursday May 10 with all the news of the day and um, it's just uh, another day in Trump land a very very busy news day and when you combine uh, the return of the uh, North Korean uh, prisoners uh, at Andrews Air Force Base at about 2.42 a.m. this morning the big hearing yesterday on the Hill uh, with Gina Haspel President Trump's nominee to be the next director of the CIA and more revelations about all the money, the millions and millions and millions of dollars that the president's attorney, Michael Cohen, uh, was uh, getting from corporations around the world for selling access to the uh, Oval Office. A lot to talk about. So we need some help. We got it from Niall Stanish, who is a White House columnist uh, there at the briefings every day for the great newspaper, The Hill. Niall, how are you? Good, Bill. How are you? You look pretty good for being up all night. Uh, <laughs> 
out at Andrews Air Force Base. <laughs> you have an optimistic view of my commitment to these things. I, I left that to the full reporters. <laughs> yeah, so did I, baby. Uh, yeah, right. They, they could have that. Uh, President's uh, the helicopter, Marine One, landed out there at 2 18 a.m. He got back to the White House about 4 o'clock this morning. Yeah, yeah past his bedtime and by the way, as well. He was up yeah. tweeting. An hour ago, yeah. or an hour and a half ago. Yeah. He needs very little sleep, apparently, whatever else we can say about him. Yeah, boy, I'll tell you. Exactly. So we got a lot to cover here. I want to hear from you what you think about all the news of the day. Send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. But first. This is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories making news. So this story is fascinating. The Robinson Research Institute and the University of Adelaide in Australia came together for a new study to find out just how bad fast food is, especially for women, because now they're saying that they have linked eating fast food to infertility. They looked at 5,598 really? first-time mothers in Australia, New Zealand, and the UK, and overall, women who ate fast food three to four times a week, it took them a month or longer to get pregnant if they were trying to get pregnant while they were eating fast food. So it's had, it has had some sort of effect. They said that part of this is because they contain high amounts of saturated fat, sodium, sometimes sugar. Uh, and while those necessar- haven't necessarily been specifically studied in how it relates to human pregnancy, that there's definitely something there. So think twice if you're trying to get pregnant before you hit the drive-thru. It's weird. Isn't that weird? figure that out. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of fascinating, though. Bill, are you still in love with Alexa? Oh, Alexa and I have a very good relationship. Alexa, yes. of course, the uh, right. the home assistant by Amazon. Well, yesterday, Amazon sort of, they started rolling out these new, what they're calling Amazon Experience Centers, Uh-oh. and they're showing people how Alexa can run an entire home. They can control thermostats, mm-hmm. shades, lights, more. They're setting up these houses that essentially show you if you wanted to have Alexa run your entire house, you can do it, and here's what it would look like. Apple, by the way, and Google are also doing similar things. They each have their own version mm-hmm. of Home Assistant. Right. But they're trying to show like how you how your house would look. They partnered with home builder Lennar to create a couple of these houses to show off. I have a very limited uh, relationship with Alexa. Basically, I think that's probably it's, good. Basically, it's music, weather. Yeah, I don't it. want Alexa to run too much of my life. Because mm. mm. what happens when things go not great? You know <laughs> what I mean? Like if something screws up, I don't want everything getting screwed up. My problem is I also, I get her name wrong. I, I keep calling her Acela, oh. <laughs> which is the train. You know, and she doesn't answer, and then I get pissed off. Why aren't you answering? And anyhow, so... <laughs> Follow us on Twitter at BP Show. This is the Bill Press Show. John McCain says she hasn't apologized for being involved in torture. He says members of the Senate should vote no on Gina Haspel's nomination to be the next director of the CIA. She's acting director now. Hello, everybody. 
That's one of the big stories we're covering today here on the Bill Press Show on a Thursday, Thursday, May 10. So good to see you today. Thank you for joining us as we boom out to you coast to coast from our studio in Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., with all the news of the day. Joining you online on YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Out in the greater Chicago area, hello, hello, WCPT listeners and followers. Good to join you today. Thank you for tuning in and on Free Speech TV. Good to see you as well, and great to welcome back to the studio Niall Stanage, a good friend from The Hill uh, and a White House columnist for The Hill. Niall, it's hard. We're so into this. Good to see you, by the way. Uh, Andrew. Uh, in, into this North Korea now, and the prisoners coming home, and now we know this, the summit's going to be in Singapore, and yet just, it was just two days ago that the president made this announcement where we're pulling out of the Iran nuclear deal, which is huge and normally would spend two weeks talking about that. Right. Yeah. And we've always moved on and forgotten about it, but let's not forget about it. That was a certainly the most important foreign policy decision this president has made so far. Yes, I think so. And, and one that was a very clear rebuff to not just the international community writ large, but to very specific American allies. I mean, in the weeks leading up to that announcement, we had uh, Emmanuel Macron from France, uh, yeah. Chancellor Merkel from Germany, and then in the very final days, Boris Johnson, the British Foreign Secretary, all come over trying to, I think, uh, basically talk President Trump out of doing what he then yeah. went ahead and did. But they were. And then yesterday, or well, or day before yesterday, when he's starting the cabinet meeting, uh, he actually said, everybody loves this. All, all the other countries love what I did. No, they don't. Right, right, right. right. I mean, Wait. they actually put out a statement mm. expressing their disappointment. Yeah, and I think this goes to another uh, point. Immediately after the president made that announcement, myself and others were in the White House briefing room, which you know well, when John Bolton came to give an on-the-record briefing about that announcement. And Bolton was arguing, as the president had done, that this was about showing uh, American strength. And to me, that goes to a, a, a fundamental uh, split between people like John Bolton and President Trump on one hand and most of the foreign policy establishment in both parties on the other, which is do you sh show strength by going it alone and by saying we don't care what a multilateral agreement is, we're doing this? Or does that in fact show weakness because of the degree to which it isolates the United States from other parties, which are maintaining their commitment to the agreement? I mean, I think that's worth noting that American withdrawal does not in fact uh, blow up, pardon the phrase, this agreement, that the other signatories are... Uh, committed to continuing with it. No, it's a uh, very uh, um, good article by the uh, in the New York Times this morning, front page, uh, that in fact the Europe our European allies are asserting um, that they want to stay in the agreement, that the agreement still exists, that mm -hmm. is still in place. Um, the president of Iran yesterday said, as far as he's concerned, the agreement is still in place. And, and so the European allies are, are talking with Iran. Macron actually called President Rouhani from Iran to say, don't do anything rash. You know, mm -hmm. we're still there. We're still going to make this work even without the United States. Mm -hmm. Can it work without the United States? Uh, well, I think it is plausible that it can. I mean, nothing is guaranteed in these matters. But of course, from the uh, Iranian perspective, 
the the gain from the agreement was the easing or lifting of sanctions. Now, as I understand it, European companies are still going to be able to do everything that they were yes. already able to do under the terms of the deal. Uh, the qu- yes, if I can. Yes. Un- until and unless the United States goes after those European the, allies right. for doing business with Iran, which... Donald Trump threatened to do when he made the announcement. Right. He which, said there are sanctions against Iran and anybody who helps Iran. Right. Which would then complicate the whole picture uh, well, enormously. I, yeah, I think if we go to war with France, Germany, and the UK, that might cause some complications. <laughs> yeah. Cause a bit of a stir. Yeah, don't you think? <laughs> right. But I, yeah. I wouldn't put it against, I mean, I wouldn't say Donald Trump would never do it. I mean, it's, it's a very strange uh, situation if he's actually going to follow through on that threat to uh, levy some kind of penalty against a company based in Britain or France or Germany for uh, dealing with Iran. Right. Uh, there's another side of this, which is a, a sort of implicated in, in, in that inside of Iran, it's very hard to kind of understand what's going on in that country for so long. Mm. But you do have President Rouhani today who is trying to restore relationships at least and 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 supports this deal mm-hmm. the hardliners in iran who hate mm-hmm. the united states never wanted anything to do with this deal mm-hmm. uh, they're really strengthened now by donald trump's actions right so in effect mm-hmm. he is helping our enemies inside of iran by you, pulling out of this deal yeah i mean i think that this is one of the things with any kind of uh tenuous or difficult negotiation, as the Iran nuclear deal certainly was in its uh, first iteration. Everyone is bringing uh, a certain amount to the table, but everyone is also challenging their own hardliners to a degree. And that was certainly the case uh, in in relation to Iran signing up to this, which, as you say, hardliners didn't want. They thought they should just go mm-hmm. ahead with developing nuclear material. They, you know, those hardliners want Iran to have a nuclear bomb, clearly, right. and d- didn't want a curb on that. Uh, those people had, I think, been sidelined because the more relatively more moderate voices had been able to say, we have got this and easing of sanctions in return for the other part. Now, I think that argument is... Uh, is much more difficult uh, to make. To your point, not to be flippant about it, but to your point about uh, difficult to know what's going on in Iran, I was joking with someone the other day that I reported from Iran for a week once about 10 10 years ago, which probably makes me more of an Iran expert than (laughs) half the people who show up on cable news claiming to be an Iran expert. Oh, yeah. There we go. Fascinating country. Or half the people in the White House. (laughs) What do they know about the inner dealings in Iran? I want to go back just to reiterate what I thought you made a very important point about standing alone. Mm. Because to me, there are a lot of parallels between this and um, pulling out of the Paris Mm. Climate Accords. So in in that case, there's the rest of the world, Mm. every other nation in the world, and and the United States. Everybody else is a part of it. We're not. And in this one, you've got, okay, Germany, France, the UK, Mm. Russia... And China. Mm. And Iran. And Iran. Right. And the United States over here. So once again, I mean, this seems to be the Trumpism is that our foreign policy is we don't give a damn about what anybody else is doing. We stand alone and Mm. we're right. Mm. And and they view that, I think, through the prism of America first. And that's their argument that it's I mean, I think I think Donald Trump does have a distrust of multilateralism just 
period. I mean, even when it comes to things like trade, he often talks about the fact that he would prefer to negotiate a one-on-one deal with these various countries. Uh, As far as the foreign policy area writ large was concerned, obviously we previously had people like H.R. McMaster and Rex Tillerson who were to some extent voices of restraint. Sure. Uh, John Bolton clearly is not cut no, from that cloth. But, uh, on, and, and both McMaster and Tillerson uh, and Mattis argued for mm. staying in the right. Iran nuclear, uh, right. nuclear deal. Com- Bolton, of course, just just the opposite. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, and Pompeo, I, just the opposite. Right. And, and this goes back, I mean, you and I well remember John Bolton uh, as uh, U.S. Uh, ambassador to the U.N. under President uh, Bush had to be uh, appointed during a congressional recess to get that role. And one of the reasons was because of his uh, quite clear uh, scorn for the United Nations as a body, which seemed to go to the issue that we're talking about, right? The issue that uh, multilateral or complicated deals somehow inherently don't serve American interests. Mm-hmm. So meanwhile, we have uh, an upcoming summit Uh in Singapore, mm. it, look, it looks like it's going to be taken. That's reported yesterday. I thought I don't know whether CBS or whoever broke that news because originally they were talking about the president wanted it in the demilitarized zone. Mm. Um, and um, the release of these prisoners certainly is a good sign maybe that mm. uh, Kim Jong-un is ready to make a deal. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think it is a, a good sign. The, the North Korea situation is... Uh, perplexing to many people, in, including myself. Uh, I don't think we should be too churlish about, certainly not about the uh, release of those <clears throat> uh, prisoners, because I do, you know, clearly that's again. It's good that those men have been released. I also think, frankly, that that uh, President Trump's approach in North Korea has at least uh, produced. Um, symbolic gains that I would not have thought that it had. I mean, back only a few months ago when he was talking about his nuclear button and little rocket man and all yeah. of that, yeah. I was with, I think, the majority of people in thinking that that was uh, potentially very, very uh, dangerous. And I would certainly not have predicted that we would be at the point of announcing the location for a summit a few months later. No. I mean, it's, it is remarkable. And uh you know, um, the president last night said it looks like um, it looks like the summit is going to be uh, uh, a big, big success, right? Mm-hmm. If we have that, Peter, the uh, um, uh, this was ba- out, out at out at Andrews, yeah. Right. We're going to have a success. I think this will be a very big success. It's never been taken this far. There's never been a relationship like this. Never been taken this far. That's right. I mean, mm-hmm. Bill Clinton. Barack Obama, George W. Bush didn't get this far, whoever the leader was of North Korea. I mean, I I guess the obvious caveat that we have to put in is what actually is produced by this summit, right? I mean, there is still a uh, skeptical school of thought, which is that President Trump is himself uh, talking this summit up in, in exactly the way that we have just heard, that in an odd sort of way, could that actually strengthen Kim's hand because Trump is creating such expectation around it that right. he has to get something from Okay, it. so let's tie these two together. Mm. Uh, okay, so I'm an official of the North Korean government, okay, mm. or I'm Kim Jong-un, and I'm about to, I'm considering or working up toward maybe sitting down across the table with uh, Donald Trump, the president of the United States, and making a deal. And then I look, 
at Donald Trump trashing the Paris Accord deal, and I look at Donald Trump just two days ago trashing the Iran nuclear deal, why do I want to make a deal with the United States? Why do I trust him to make a deal at all? I think that's a very good question, and I think that the two things or three things are connected. And I also think that goes beyond North Korea as well, obviously. I mean, this is something that uh, both adversaries and allies will be looking at generally. Just jumping in, people say that uh, we can't trust the North Koreans. We can't Mm. make any deal with them because Mm. we can't trust them. Hell, I couldn't trust the United States (laughs) today. Right. I mean, I think that's that's uh, an an issue in terms of at least the sticking to agreements. Uh, I mean, the the whole point yeah. of people making sacrifices or making political gambles is based upon the idea that your interlocutor is going to stick with his or her <laughs> side of the bargain, right? Yeah. And that is something that has been uh, undercut. Now, I I wouldn't trust the North Koreans either. I mean, that's that's stated as yeah. a, a yeah. given. I yeah. think. But I, I do take your point. Right. So yesterday at the briefing, um, Sarah Huckabee Sanders uh, getting some questions, uh, understandably, about the latest on Michael Cohen. Uh, mm. Every day, it seems, the, the, the Cohen investigation has sort of supplanted the Mueller investigation, one, for one thing, because Mueller can keep secrets and we right. don't know what he's up to. And, and the Michael Cohen stuff just keeps spilling over. Uh, the latest where... Um, Michael Avenetti, or the Stormy Daniels attorney, came up with the documents, financial documents, that's showing right. that uh, Cohen, um, he was making a lot of money off his friendship relationship with Donald Trump. He, he was, and some of the explanations given by the companies that gave Michael Cohen money are sort of... Uh, well, raise an eyebrow. They're certainly yeah, amusing. You yeah. know, people who were paying him very large sums of money for insight or for advice as to how to improve their accounting practices. Yeah, which right. you know we shall see uh, they, about they, that. They were paying him for access to Trump or access to the Oval Office, access to the White House, access to officials in the White House. Right. Cert- certainly looks that way, and this is one of the many, many episodes where one thinks, how would this be treated under another? president or during another administration if uh, I can't think of an automatic uh, parallel with uh, President Obama but if there were some personal lawyer for Barack Obama uh, profiting to that extent uh, while out of office without declaring it. Well I I think the the parallel I think the parallel is the issue about how much money, foreign money went to the Clinton Foundation when Hillary was Secretary of State Mm -hmm. And there were some attempts to use that sure. connection as access to American foreign policy. There's d- d- mm. no doubt that mm-hmm. some countries were given the money to Bill Clinton mm-hmm. because his wife was Secretary of State, and they thought that way they could influence what was happening with American foreign policy. Yeah, no absolutely. About and and there, were, there were and are very legitimate questions about that. But in this case— I'm not saying she did anything right. wrong, but I do think you know that, that, that was raised a question, and it was— um, I think uh, unwise of the Clinton Foundation and Bill Clinton to accept all of that money, knowing that that could raise the appearance of a conflict. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, I agree with that entirely. And I think that most politicians, to be fair, are 
alive to the appearance of a conflict issue that they do seem to take that into account, as do most people close to major politicians. Mr. Cohen seems to have been less concerned. So when it came up yesterday at the briefing, Sarah Huckabee Sanders kind of wanted to distance herself. Talk about building a wall. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're building a wall, I think, now trying to, between the White House and Michael Cohen. Here she is. We're not engaging in matters uh, in this process at all, and I would refer you to the outside counsel for anything uh, that has anything to do with Michael Cohen or others. Refer you to uh, outside counsel. Uh, yeah, I'll, yeah. So, so, I, I boy, should... she, she, boy all Cohen questions. No, we don't want anything to do with that guy. What? Right. And it wasn't that long ago that he was Trump's best friend. Right, right. Uh, absolutely. And and the Trump himself was saying you should ask Michael Cohen about uh, matters relating to yes. Stormy Daniels. So yeah. I think he yeah. said that basically on Air Force One only uh, roughly a month ago. So clearly there is a uh, political distancing going on, an attempt to... Uh, build, as you say, a wall of separation between the White House and Michael Cohen. I might also say that Sarah's suggestion to uh, consult outside counsel on these matters wasn't at least very successful. In in my case, I tried calling uh, or texting both Rudy Giuliani and Jay Sekulow, the two main Mm -hmm. members of the outside team, and uh, got no response, although I have spoken to both those gentlemen on previous occasions. Well, um, how's Rudy doing? (laughs) (laughs) Well, he spoke to me a couple of times last week, and he seemed fine. He was very uh, adamant that the president was happy with his performance. I know he has made that comment in other interviews, even though we hear different reporting behind the scenes. But, uh, I I mean, my own personal opinion is that the danger to uh, Rudy Giuliani in terms of his job security is less any of these... um, perceived gaffe that he has made and more his uh, dominance of the spotlight in the past week or so. We know that President Trump doesn't particularly like other people getting the spotlight. A former member of his administration told me uh, quite recently he doesn't do co-stars, which I think is Hmm. true. And uh, I think that sums up just about every move that he makes. He doesn't do co-stars. Right. Yeah. 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 And and so that is, uh, I think, something that maybe... Uh, Rudy Giuliani, not that he's seeking my advice as to how to keep his job, but I think he might be cognizant of that dynamic. Well, it seems he was brought in, first of all, you know, he he basically, since he's been mayor, has he evolved into just being a TV personality, right? Mm. I mean, Mm. and he gave the speech at the convention, Mm. but, you know, he's out there personality. So, um, but he's brought in, I thought, to, to lead the issue of the interview with Mueller, mm. resolving that, if mm. it's going to take place or not, and under what terms. And he has this relationship with Mueller, who used to work for him, mm. uh, and, and and so he, they know each other well, boom, boom, boom. But instead, suddenly, you know, Rudy's in the middle of the Stormy Daniels stuff. Right, right? Uh, absolutely. And, uh, his, uh, and not re- helping. Right, and his remit seems to be ever-growing, at least in his mind, as to talk about uh, almost almost anything. The the point about the interview with Mueller, I think that's right. I think that is how it was presented when he first joined. I am uh, very sceptical that there will ever be a voluntary sit-down interview between President Trump and Robert Mueller and his team because I don't... I, I think that at the moment, basically what the Trump legal and public relations strategy is, is to create uh, pretexts for refusing that interview. Right. 
Uh, anybody who watched Donald Trump's half-hour interview on Fox and Friends a week or so ago, mm. you, 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 after watching that, you could not make the argument that he should sit down with Robert Mueller. <laughs> I didn't Under watch oath. I didn't watch the entirety of that, but I certainly saw the edited highlights, which were dramatic enough in yeah. themselves. Right. That's where he said, among other things, that, well, Michael Cohen, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he's more a businessman. He didn't do a lot of legal work for me, except he represented me in that Stormy Daniels mess. <laughs> Everybody goes, <laughs> and then Rudy Giuliani. It was like being on Sean Hannity. And he says, oh, yeah, the president paid her back. And Hannity yeah. says, what? <laughs> what? Even Hannity, shocked, shocked by that. Um, but you know, now it's I, now. I hope you are enjoying your days at the White House because, of course, they are numbered. Mm. Um, yours and mine, I'm sure. When the president says yesterday in a tweet, um, "Yeah, if we don't like what you're doing, we're going to take away your credentials." Uh, mm. Sarah Huckabee Sanders also, of course, asked about that yesterday, and she said. No, we would never do that because we love you. The fact that I'm standing here taking questions, the fact that the president took questions from uh, your colleagues just two hours ago demonstrates this White House's commitment uh, to accessibility and to providing information to the American public. Did she say, no, we will never take people's credentials away? <laughs> I don't believe she did. Maybe you were parsing her comments more closely than I was, but I don't believe that she d denied that. I mean, it's it's part of a bigger picture, though, isn't it? I mean, it's part of a picture where the president constantly blasts the media as uh, fake news, as he calls it. And also, I think, uh, for my money, the most dangerous element of this is the president's capacity to really rile up his supporters uh, with very, very violent imagery on occasion. I mean, there was... Uh, uh, if I'm recalling correctly, an instance where he was retweeting things about where a CNN, uh, somebody with a CNN slogan was being run over by a train or something of that nature. Yeah, I mean, there's yeah. something... Is that yeah, right, I Peter? That. I remember that. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. I mean, there's there's stuff that gets right to the edge of, of incitement to violence, which I think is... Uh, obviously a more serious issue than whether people get their credentials taken away. Not that that's not a serious issue. Yeah, but why would he even put that in a tweet? And where did that mm. come from? I mean, he must have been considering it. it is a, mm. You know, and and why throw it out there? Is it, um, is it just to, you know, just so that you, people like you and I will talk about it? I don't know. I mean, it's obviously difficult to get into uh, Donald Trump's head, but he does genuinely harbor a great deal of resentment about the way he's treated in the media, I think. And he genuinely... Yeah, no. um, yeah, he wants every story to be a huge positive story, right? Right, right. right. And, uh, you know, I saw uh, Maggie Haberman tweeting, in, I think in response to that, about the idea that Trump has never really adapted to the idea that unlike when he was a New York celebrity people don't need permission to cover him anymore. It's not him sitting and sort of controlling the coverage of him in the way that uh, John Barron might have or, you know, he might have himself when he was just a TV star or sort of this rather cartoonish real estate mogul in New York. But it does hark back to the early days, um, which we recall, when it, during the transition, mm. I mean, Reince Priebus was talking about maybe they would move the media mm. the, out of the White House, mm. um, cancel briefings. Mm. Uh, in the early days, Sean Spicer had several briefings mm -hmm. off camera. Right. 
and then sometimes even off audio, right? I mean, so there was a deaf now. To Sarah Huckabee Sanders' credit, I think she mm-hmm. does every briefing on camera, right. and and she resumed that 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 practice. But um, all those threats about you know, I, I remember in the beginning we discussed are there going to continue to be briefings at the White House? Yeah, yeah. Every day we were not sure that there would be. No, for sure. No, it, so now they say, well, there may be a briefing, but unless you're friendly to us, you're not coming in. Right. You're not getting in, right? Right. No, it is. It is a, a a serious issue, and it is the idea that coverage can be determined by the White House, or people can be barred. Uh, for inaccuracy, or not even inaccuracy, for for coverage that the Trump administration doesn't like, uh, of course that's a serious issue. And I know I noticed that the um, much maligned White House Correspondents Association did issue, I think, a statement, or its chair, uh, its head, yes. uh, did issue a statement uh, noting the seriousness. Yeah, of that Margaret Talaf uh, exactly. did put out a statement yesterday, which I thought was a good one. It was a short one. Um, so, in terms of relationships between. Um, the White House and the uh, press corps. Uh, how much did this year's White House Correspondents' Dinner help smooth those relationships? <laughs> Not tremendously. And, and do you think there will ever be another White House Correspondents' Dinner? <laughs> you know, honestly, it wouldn't bother me if there was never another White House Correspondents' Dinner. I mean, setting aside for just a brief second the Trump administration, I have misgivings, to say the least, about that dinner. I think it's too kind of chummy normally and I think that the the idea it has become rather anachronistic under any administration then you go to the controversy over this year's one which was uh, you know people can choose their side there between Michelle Wolf and I guess Sarah Huckabee Sanders or, or at least the people who criticised Michelle Wolf uh, I, the extent to which a correspondence dinner in its current form can remain um, relevant or even kind of acceptable in this current era is questionable, I think. What, what's your, your opinions about these things? What's your view of it? No more dinners. Yeah. I think that's fine. I mean, I'd, yeah. I'd be on your side in that one. Uh, I think they, they might have served a good purpose, purpose at one time. Yeah. But, um, but they've, they've over the top for, for many reasons. And I, I don't think they're doing us any good. I don't think they're doing mm. the cause of good journalism any good. Yeah, I right. agree with you there. I, I just don't see what... I mean, I, I get the point that there are scholarships and all that, but wh- wh- how those can't be funded by some other means is not clear to me. You know, They don't make that much money, frankly, right. at the dinner anyhow. No, right. I, 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 I totally support the scholarship program, mm. and they, they could be done in another way. It doesn't mean you have to have a black tie dinner to right. do it. Right. So there we go. We're rounding up enough votes here, Stanton. <laughs> All right. This is the resistance. <laughs> Starts right here. It'll be Starts a, right here. It'll be a coup in a second. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we'll let you get to work. Thank you so much. Uh, now Stanton's always good. The Hill. Thehill.com. Uh, don't forget, I just told you, best source of what's happening here in Washington, uh, at, in the agencies, at the White House, at the Congress. And as a special treat on Tuesday, you can read my column at thehill.com. Thanks for coming in, Niall. Always a pleasure. And when we come back, we'll have a little different take on what's happening with Gina Haspel and with the Iran nuclear deal from uh, the head of, uh, the co-head of Code, the great Code Pink, Medea Benjamin, joining us in studio coming up next. Don't go away. We'll be right back. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, here we are on a Thursday, May 10, uh, wrapping up, folks, and good to have you with us. Thanks so much for joining us. 
coast to coast all the way from the shores of the Pacific here to Washington, D.C. and beyond with the news of the day uh, from our studio on Capitol Hill, where we're brought to you today by our good friends at the AFT, the great teachers of America. Boy, they are showing their resolve, showing their strength in state after state after state. Uh, the members of the American Federation of Teachers under President Randy Weingarten. We uh, love them, salute them, thank them for their good work in the classroom and their support of our program. Check check out their website at aft.org. What a week it, it has been. Uh, the president announcing he is ripping up the Iran nuclear deal, at least the United States um, participation in it. Uh, his nominee for the as firm, firm, permanent new director of the CIA up before the Senate Intelligence Committee yesterday and right in the middle of all of it, uh, our good friend from Code Pink, Medea Benjamin, who joins us in studio, and she has a new book out about Iran called Inside Iran. You've been there. Yes, right? yes, several times. Several times, yeah. right? Yeah. Hi, Medea. It's nice to see you. Good morning. Good to see you, Bill. So um, as, I, as I picked up yesterday, uh, Gina Haspel and I have written a column saying in the Hill a couple of days ago uh, it would be a huge, huge mistake for her to be named director of the CIA. She should not even be considered for it given her background. But what I heard yesterday in front of the Senate Intelligence Committee is, um, yeah, I tortured once, but I'll never do it again. Therefore, I should be director of the CIA. Even though my boss thinks torture is great, and I won't come out and say I would not follow such orders. Right. Yeah, her boss, President Trump, says we ought to torture works, and we ought to bring it back. Right. Um, so what's the deal? I mean, I, 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 I'm sure you don't agree that that's sufficient defense for her, but... Uh, what are the senators thinking? What did you get out of that hearing yesterday? <laughs> well, first let me say I was sitting in jail during the hearing oh, because yes. I was arrested before the hearing began, uh, uh, unlawfully ar- arrested, uh, and what did you do several of my colleagues were arrested. What did you we do to were, get um, We were wearing uh, what we call bibs, and that's fine. They said, no, Gina, no torture. Um, we were holding oh. up a, a sign before the hearing started. They told us to take them down. We took them down. And I said, we usually are allowed to express our First Amendment rights before the gavel goes down, before, before the hearing starts. In fact, we should even be able to speak out and say, don't reward torture. And then some other people with me started saying, don't reward torture. And then they said, arrest the whole group, which was Wait, awful. So the hearing hasn't started. The hearing hadn't started. They have not gaveled. They have not gaveled. And we you were, are allowed to talk. You are you? allowed to talk. So yeah. we're going back today to complain not only how we were treated, but how brutally Ray McGovern, a 78-year-old former CIA staffer who had uh, spent his whole career in the CIA, who was there to protest to say nobody involved in torture should ever run this agency, and he was brutally uh, thrown to the ground, his arm dislocated, uh, he was beaten. I, I, there's, there's footage of it that you can see where he says, I'm not resisting, and they are yelling, stop resisting, stop resisting, throwing him to the ground. The 78-year-old man, they kept him overnight. After we're done here, Bill, I'm going to the uh, courthouse where he'll be appearing this morning, and um, he is he he, he was uh, charged, I think, with resisting arrest, which anybody who watched that thing will say uh, that he was treated brutally by the officers, and what kind of America is this? 
uh, where people expressing their First Amendment rights are not asked nicely to leave, which he would have done. A 70-year-old, 8-year-old man, and at one point he said, uh, he said, I wish you would stop beating an old man. He, um, so was he arrested also before? The, no, the, he was arrested during the hearing. Dur- during the hearing. Yeah. Right. They, what do they do? They, I'm just curious. So they drag you out of the committee hearing and take, take us you, to the police station. Take and, you downtown to the police station? Well, no, the one oh, right by what? the, by the uh, Senate and, and C Street. Right. And um, they check your record. In this case, um, they only charged us with a misdemeanor and we had to pay a fine. But in Ray's case, because it was during the hearing, it is a higher charge, plus they're charging him with resisting arrest, which is higher as well. You know, the important thing is to talk about Gina Haspel, but I think it is important that we don't lose our First Amendment rights, that we should be able at a hearing before the hearing starts, before that gavel goes down, uh, to express our views. And uh, if you interrupt during a hearing, you should be asked to leave. You should be given one warning and saying, if you don't stop and leave, you will be arrested. I, I actually have a question about this yeah. because you, yeah. you this right. is not a new game for you, right? No. Like you've done this all throughout. For 16 years now. Yeah, you've done this for a while. And you did it all throughout the Barack Obama administration, including with Barack Obama himself. Um, what's the, the War College, which is the one I'll never forget. Yeah. yeah. What, what's the difference between when you were escorted out of these hearings or these speeches or these meetings during Barack Obama's years versus now? Because it definitely seems, not only with Code Pink, but with other protesters and people that have gotten into trouble, that the Trump administration really is throwing the book at protesters. Well, that's right. It's become harder and harder to express ourselves. People are more afraid because the way that Trump encourages people to beat up on protesters. We saw it during the campaign. uh, campaign. And now uh, people ask me, why aren't you inside uh, when Trump is speaking? And really, uh, it's harder to get inside and people are more more afraid. Uh, Certainly, this idea of beating people up is something that Trump relishes. And this relates very much to the issue of, of torture. You know, he is quote, the ultimate tough guy that says it's okay to people beat people up. Remember, he said, I like the good old days when people would leave a protest in a stretcher. And he it's okay to torture. He also said, you beat them up, I'll pay for your That's legal right. fees. That's right, I'll pay for your legal fees. And he also said uh, war- that he likes waterboarding and more, more. So, you know, to to bring this back to the subject, which is Gina Haspel, to have somebody who was involved in torture, involved in destroying the evidence, who won't say the torture is illegal. Well, what if, uh, as she was asked, you are asked by Trump to torture, to waterboard, and she did not say, I won't do it. She said, I don't think I would be asked that. You know what? It is very likely, actually, that she would be asked that. And, you know, there are other things, Bill, that the the CIA has been involved in that, well, I didn't hear during the uh, I didn't hear the hearing because I was in jail. Uh, I don't think anybody asked. And that is what about the use of drones to kill people? Um, should the CIA be involved in extrajudicial killings? I've been to Yemen. I've been to Pakistan. I've met with the families of people whose innocent loved ones were killed by CIA drones. There should be a lot of questioning about the other methods, not just torture, that the CIA uses that are totally illegal, that are totally immoral, and that make us less safe. Right. 
yeah, Gina Haspel saying that um, I was only also part of her defense is, well, um, I was only following orders. Mm-hmm. You know, we were operating within the law. No, they weren't. Right. No, and uh, I mean, torture operating was, and torture following was, orders uh, is not legal if what you are doing is illegal. Torture is illegal, period. And, uh, you know, and we know the Nuremberg war- principles. Torture, you're not allowed exactly. to uh, do something because you're just following orders. Gina Haspel should not have been sitting there and uh, it, it, it being considered and probably approved to be the next head of the CIA. Gina Haspel and others should have been prosecuted for doing illegal acts. Uh, right. It was the torture and then destroying the evidence. Destroying the evidence, which is just horrendous. And the fact also, Bill, that you know we have never been able to see even the CIA report on torture, just the executive summary redacted, that we, the American people, have never been allowed to see what our government has been doing in our name and what the CIA has been doing in our name. I would have loved that it was a time where the public could really get a chance to peel the onion and uh, see what's happening beneath it, because we know it's not just about waterboarding. There's other forms of torture that have been used. There's extraordinary rendition that has been used. I mean, there are people that were sent to Syria to be tortured in Syria under Assad um, by our CIA. So um, I think it's very unfortunate that we weren't during the open part of the hearing. Who knows what went on during the closed part of the hearing? But to really hear more about the dirty acts of the CIA during the time that she was there and how she feels about dirty acts of the CIA before her time. You know, we're talking about a book on Iran that I just wrote. Let's go back and look at the CIA uh, overthrowing governments like in 1953 in Iran, in 1954 in Guatemala, in 1960 uh, in the Congo, uh, and on and on. Right. Uh, all of A lot of those abuses which triggered the Frank Church, famous Frank Church hearing, Right. About right. the time when they were out there, you're right, trying to overthrow governments, duly elected governments, hiring assassins to, to assassinate foreign, foreign leaders, all the CIA. You know, so they have the church hearings, they get out of that. And then under George Bush, the CIA becomes the agency that's torturing or using enhanced interrogation techniques. You're right. They're operating the killer drones out of CIA headquarters. At different places, uh, you know, it's bad enough the, the military is operating those drones, but then on top of that, to have this totally unaccountable shadow organization that is known since the church hearings for being untouchable for all the dirty acts that it's doing, and right. we don't even know where uh, the the covert uh, money is coming from for a lot of the covert operations they're involved in. Um, so, uh, yes, there's a, a lot of things that we should be talking about of the CIA's activities and certainly not bringing one of, quote, its own, one of the people from uh, the really dirty years of the Bush administration to head that agency. It needs a total cleaning. In fact, it needs a lot of discussion about what is the CIA for. Absolutely. No, that should be the that should be the conversation today. And you're right uh, that that. It, it, they need somebody who would, who could, might at least, I think, I believe, give the CIA a whole new kind of direction and and maybe bring it out of that dark, those dark days. Right? Instead, she's part of those dark days, and she just continues that. 
that well, yeah, and it would be nice role of the CIA. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's so many things that the CIA right. has done, even under the Bush years, that were not brought up. Uh, I'm pretty sure were not brought up in the hearing because I yeah. saw what was played over and over on TV, and that was Kamala Harris asking her, you know, would you would, would you say that these uh, in, interrogation techniques are immoral? And she couldn't even answer yeah, that. And that's as far as it went. Yeah. Well, listen to that again, where she, she that that's a pretty pretty straightforward question on the part of Senator Kamala Harris. Uh, and again, not getting a straight answer. Here's that exchange. Do you believe in hindsight that those techniques were immoral? Senator, what I believe sitting here today is that I support the higher moral standard we have decided to hold ourselves to. Can you please to. answer the question? Senator, I, I think I've answered the question. No, you've not. No. No. But, you know, that's, that's great exchange and horrible that she couldn't answer. But the fact that that was as tough as it got, um, I think, speaks volumes to the, uh, the Democrats not wanting to really get into the dirty work of the CIA beyond torture. Um, from Code Pink, Medea Benjamin with us, CodePink.org, great organization. I know uh, Medea and uh, Jody, uh, Jody Evans, the uh, co-founder very, very well, uh, and urge you to follow Code Pink and give them your support. Um, President Trump says the Iran nuclear deal, getting out of the Iran nuclear deal, makes this a world a lot safer. That's what he said when he signed that document yesterday. What is the impact of uh, trashing the Iran nuclear deal? Well, look, 24 hours later, we all already see a very, very serious and dangerous escalation between uh, Iran and Israel right now in the Golan Heights. And, you know, this is the way third world, uh, the world wars begin, Bill. This is scary stuff. You know, it's a skirmish here, a skirmish there. Then it gets a little bigger. And now we already see that in the Middle East we have uh, so many different players already involved in it. So you have a, quote, skirmish that's going back and forth between the Israelis and uh, the Iranians in Syria. Well, in Syria, you already already have the Russians. Right. You already have Turkey. Uh, in and the United States. And the United States. And in Israel, you already have the United States that says, you know, we back Israel no matter what Israel does. Um, and you already have Saudi Arabia. So you've got all the makings there for an absolute much greater catastrophe than has already been going on for the last 16 years in the Middle East. And thank you, Donald Trump. Um, you're leading us in that direction. And inside of Iran, and again, you've been there several times, uh, it, it, this, this also has a direct impact on the internal politics of Iran, right? Oh, definitely, and terrible, because Iran is no monolith at all. In fact, there is a very, very vibrant uh, political dynamic in Iran. When you have a presidential election, it is not open in the fact that anybody can run. They are vetted. But within those who are vetted and allowed to run, there is a big difference. And people like Rouhani, who are considered the moderates, um, it's a big difference because he negotiated and allowed the negotiation of this nuclear deal against the wishes of the conservatives, the hardliners who said, don't negotiate with the West. You cannot trust them. And uh, lo and behold, the conservatives, the hardliners are the ones that were right. You cannot trust the United States in negotiations. And there is pressure in Iran right now to it really just pull out of the deal. And it we, really pulls, out the, pulls a rug out from under Rouhani. Absolutely. It makes him look like a fool. 
And this has very serious implications when you look at the sanctions that are going to be reimposed now. And this idea that the deal can work without the United States is really just pie in the sky because it's all about what economic benefits is Iran going to feel from this deal. And companies are already very afraid. In fact, we haven't seen, the Iranians haven't seen the benefit, not because it was, quote, stolen by the government, but because the benefits haven't been great enough because companies are are already afraid because they know that this deal was not secure from the time that Donald Trump said he wanted to rip it up. Uh, and even if then uh, Germany and France and the whole European Union, of course, uh, says we're going to go along with it and, and China and Russia do, what about the companies? They are Where are they going to make more money, in Iran or in the United States? And if they are, quote, protected by their own co countries to say, okay, you can go ahead and deal with Iran, like Total or any of the, the oil companies, they have businesses in the United States. And there's always a lot more business to be made in the United States than there is from a much smaller economy of Iran. And that means the benefits won't be felt. The sanctions will be crippling. People will uh, be very upset. And it means the hardliners will win out. It means the hardliners will win out, and which also means that, um, or I guess I should pose that as a question, uh, that Iran pretty soon will say, well, we might as well go back to making, to making nuclear weapons, right? Well, yes, and then imagine, because then Israel will either on its own or pressure the United States to go in and blow up their nuclear facilities, uh, and there we go in all-out war with Iran so I'm very scared about where we are right now. In fact, we put out a, a letter to the Iranian people from the American people apologizing for Donald Trump's action of taking us out of a deal that was already signed and, and, and working. Uh, and we got people like um, uh, Jane Fonda and Oliver Stone and Eve Ensler and others signing it right now. And then uh, many, many thousands of Americans. We'd like your listeners to go on to the CodePink.org Code website and sign, the sign it. Yeah. Um, we've got publications inside Iran that are going to print this. And we think it's really important that Iranians know there are Americans who don't want to go to war with them. There are Americans who know that a deal that was signed is a deal that should respect, be respected by our government, a deal that was working, a deal in which Iran compromised tremendously. Now, I am no supporter of the Iranian government. And if you read my book, you'll see chapters that talk about um, the, the human rights abuses. And the book is the, Inside Iran, right? Right, just, right. So Inside Iran, the, the real <laughs> yeah. history and politics of the Islamic Republic. Oh, uh, right. And, and um, it's, a, it's an important book for people who don't know very much about Iran because it's a basic primer um, that is very critical of the government. But it also, uh, and I think it's important to say, when there are negotiations like this to stop Iran from getting nuclear weapons, I think it's important that we stop Iran from getting nuclear weapons. But I don't think it is right that the one who tries to quote, point out Iran's abuses is Bibi Netanyahu, who runs a country that has lied consistently about their having nuclear weapons, that has hundreds of nuclear weapons, that refuses to join the non-proliferation treaty, refuses to have any inspectors inside Israel. And the Iranian government has said for decades now that it wants a nuclear-free Middle East. And I think that's what we should be calling for in our broader call, of course, for a nuclear-free world. Right. Uh, in terms of a nuclear-free world, um, are you at all optimistic about the upcoming summit with uh, Donald Trump and Kim Jong-un? 
Well, I I uh, am optimistic, and here's why, Bill, because I've been to both North and South Korea. I'm going to South Where Korea again. Where haven't you been? Uh, <laughs> I, I'm on my way in 10 days to South Korea with a group called Women Cross the DMZ, where we cross the demilitarized zone. And I'm ex- you can't cross from south to north. We cross from north to south. Yes, we did. D- really? Yes. Yeah. We did in 2015 with the permission of the North Korean government where we met with women's organizations to the South Korean government hmm. where we met with women's organizations. We were one of the only groups to be able to get this uh, permission to what do is, it. What is that area like? Well, it's a, obviously misnamed. It's the most militarized zone in the world. <laughs> yeah, right. It's a very, Demilitarized. It's not, right? Yeah, it's, pretty... it's very scary because they're watching each other's yeah. every single move. Uh, and it took a long time to get permission from both governments to allow us to... Uh, to walk across that DMZ. And we did. And we're going back now. How big is it? Is it well, a, it's a very a small. Yeah, oh, it's a it's a very, very small area. Um, and uh, we asked permission to go back and do it again. And uh-huh. you know what? The North Koreans gave us permission. The South Koreans gave us permission. And we are an international group. But this time, the Americans will not be able to go. And guess why? Because now it is illegal for us, because of Donald Trump, to go to North Korea. And we asked for a waiver from the State Department, and we refused the waiver from the State Department. So we're on our way to uh, South Korea. The non-Americans will cross over into the North. The Americans will not be able to do it. But the important thing to say— Americans are not allowed in North Korea? No, this is a new thing that Donald Trump has imposed, which Hmm. is we cannot go to North Korea. You know, it used to be you could go everywhere except Cuba, uh, and you could go to North Korea. Now you can't go to North Korea, and you can't even now get a waiver— uh, if you're going on a, uh, a peace mission, but you still, and we're just, uh, now we're just right up out, out of time. You still at least uh, maintain a little bit of hope that some good could come out of this summit. The hope is because the South Koreans are mobilized, organized, and they're going to demand peace on the Korean Peninsula. All right, great, great work at Code Pink on every front. Of Medea Benjamin, uh, the co-founder, and again, it is Code Pink. Dot org. Go, uh, go in there and sign that letter to the people of Iran. Thanks for coming in, Madea. Thank you so Good much. To Good to see you. Uh, and we'll see you this here tomorrow. Is the Come Bill on back. Press show.